Hello, this is Tim Watton. That's Cotton with a W. Welcome to the GIF po podcast, which focuses on the power of the mind, mindfulness, and being more present to help overcome life and health challenges, bringing more resilience, calm, and joy. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce my guest. His name is Jez Rose. He is a broadcaster, a honeybee farmer. Yes, you heard that right, a honeybee farmer, an award-winning author and keynote speaker. He's also a behavior expert. So welcome to the show, Jez. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. How, did, how does one become a behavior expert? Um, well, it's a very good question. If I had the answer, I'd be able to tell you. Um, so <laughs> the behavior, the behavior expert was a, a little sort of tagline, I suppose, that my clients started using for me. It was a nickname uh, uh, because um, I, I've always been interested in uh, why people do the things they do. Um, and so I studied uh, human behavior and studied uh, animal behavior for a time as well. Um, and that, I think, vicariously is what led me to what we do now in terms of um, working symbiotically with, with nature. But um, so the behavior expert as a sort of moniker was literally that. It was clients would say to me, oh, we, we need to get Jez in. He's, he's the behavior expert. He'll tell us how to okay. you know, change this or how, how we can influence this particular cultural challenge or, or whatever. So, um, but actually, I dropped it a couple of years back because um, while it, became a bit of a monster and, and the behavior expert or, or actually became um, my brand. Um, I've always, the, the whole expert thing has always sat a bit weird with me. It's always, um, <laughs> like you because on the one hand, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Puts you right there on a pedestal. Um, but also, you know, on the one hand I am telling people all the time that one of the joys of being human is that we continually adapt and evolve and, and we don't have all the answers now. And even if you, everything's absolutely brilliant right now uh, at yeah. home or at work and everything's going to plan, we can always improve. Yeah. Um, you know, that uh, sort of that uh, philosophy that the Walt Disney company have based on Walt Disney's own philosophy, which is um, the ability to plus the show uh, and right. the idea is keep improving it incrementally. Um, yeah. So I didn't really feel I could be an expert if uh, if I was literally telling people that we don't have the answers and that's that's joyful. So <laughs> okay, well I mean I could be uh, surviving my cystic fibrosis and diabetes. I could label myself the survival expert and then die yeah. next year. And, and, yeah. and I've failed miserably with that one, haven't I? Um, <laughs> so the word expert, I understand around the word expert, but you know more than the average person. And you've seen what works, and that's crucial. So that when you advocate yep. something, you're backing it up with evidence and testimonial. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked for this year's 14 years that I've been doing what I do in the corporate sector in, in, with, with business in terms of speaking and, and writing books. Um, and for about eight years of that, I worked as a behavior insight advisor and still do to many brands that people would, would recognize some government departments and um, a premiership football team. Um, and those things don't happen if you can't do what you say you do. Um, and uh, it is as much about not intentionally going against the grain, but it is as much about 
challenging the status quo and getting people to stop the habit of thinking the way that they do mm. and to look at something a different way or even just to encourage them to ask more questions and uh, yeah. to challenge uh, okay. why they do what they do or to see how that influences behavior what might there be about you jez that very few people would realize like some sort of not secret um, but just a hidden fact um well i don't know i sometimes i get referred to as kooky and i think that's just because i believe i was born a hundred years too late uh, so that's what happens when you wear high-waisted trousers with braces and have a twiddly moustache and uh, influenced by sort of early 1900s and late 1800s I suppose. um uh, uh so i don't people might not realize how how deeply that is um affects my life case in point actually yesterday i was just staying in a hotel and i went down for breakfast and one of the waiters said to me oh i um I love your braces. Um, and I said, oh, thanks very much. Um, and he said, uh, what's the occasion? Ah, and I okay. said, what, what do you mean, what's the occasion? He said, is it like a wedding or something? And I said, nope, that's yeah, just so the only trousers I own look like this. <laughs> um, it's not a, you know, it's not a show. It's not a, it, it is, it forms a, a part of my life. And, and the relevance to your podcast, probably, rather than this becoming a discourse about my trousers and uh, stuff. No, no, we can go down that, that path. <laughs> um, is that the thing that really attracted me to that period is that it was a real go-getting uh, part of, uh, of our human journey, socially, prior to technology, prior to really anything being easy. Mm. Uh, you know, you had to write and wait to get a reply. Uh, if you wanted something doing, you had to do it yourself um, because unless you had tons of money, I mean, the divide between the classes was significant. But also, despite all of that, um, right up until, I guess, the sort of Second World War, uh, people were politer, generally. Um, there's some wonderful uh, examples of how much time, more time people would give each other. Um, there was, uh, and that influences various different elements of behavior. But um, it was a really interesting part of our history as as a species. And so that's what first attracted me to it. And it just so happened that I think what they wore was pretty cool and uh, and uh, it gave me something to do with my moustache instead of shaving it. <laughs> well, I wanted to compliment you because you do dress uh, with Elan and that's you're right. very unique. And I like that because um, it's all too easy to be conservative and just think it's just another day. I don't think that way. Every day feels like an event. And yes. I try and make sure I dress accordingly. And if I buy something new, I will wear it the next day. It's not mm -hmm. any day thing doesn't work for me. It's the next day. And make sure that day feels special. Um, and I get the impression when you, because you do dress well, um, you do turn heads in a good way because you actually are authentic to yourself. I think the the uh, yeah I mean I don't care. Um, there are equally as many people that will snigger or will think what the heck is. So here's the interesting thing. So I had a curly moustache and wore high waisted trousers before it became cool, right? So I'm right. not saying I'm a trendsetter, but I've never been cool, Tim. I don't know what it's like to be cool. So all of a sudden I'm in the cool gang and I don't really know how to handle that. So I, I have at some point it will be a trend that 
you know, passes and people stop dressing like I dress and then I'll become the, I don't know, the one that's behind a trend or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I don't care because it's, it's me, right? Um, yeah. And that is something that probably is the most relevant bit about, you know, to your listeners and to your podcast is that finding something that is genuine takes time because we are hiding um, uh, all the time um, uh, from what we really are um, and who we really are because we do try to conform because it's easy and even at a subconscious level it's easier to conform yeah. it makes things less painful it means that we get included nobody wants to be excluded um, but ultimately everything is is shaping who we are right um, yeah. there was a wonderful quote recently where it was comparing life to um, if you live life really well and you do plenty of different things and immerse yourself in different experiences, it doesn't matter whether they're enjoyable or not. What ultimately is doing is it's like you're putting yourself into the tumble dryer of life or the, or, or like within a load of sandpaper. And it sounds off all the, all the bits that are excessive or that aren't really you. And what you're left with is the core, which is yep. the real you because of the experiences you've had. Um, okay. That's probably a terrible analogy compared to what how succinctly the quote was, but but that's the point, right? That, um, you, you, we have a wonderful option in life as yeah. to how we look at it and what we let affect us. Okay, and we're going to delve into more of that as we talk about elements of the gift. But a lot of my listeners tend to either have a um, ongoing health condition, or may just be recently diagnosed. Um, or they struggle um, mentally, um, or just actually been uh, some life events just happened to them that's come out of left field. Um, is there something that you'd say you've learned from a, either a life or a career setback, and what did it teach you? Oh man, um, I probably should have read the questions better. Um, uh, so. I, with respect, I don't think these questions are great questions. I don't think, not, not generally, right? I mean, I mean, like questions like when people say, you know, what's the, you know, what's the one thing? Because if really you live your life well, every day should shape it, shouldn't it? Every day should be like the new best thing or the, and while there are things that stand out, um, I, I worry that if we're, going to try and pinpoint stuff we end up diluting all of the tiny minuti that, that those little things the minutiae that 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 really do form us okay. so however to answer the question there is a one thing that, that that of many that i could pick um and probably that is um is mental health so <clears throat> um i wrote quite publicly about um having depression from a very young age the, the slightly frustrating thing is it's that again seems to be cool now like you, you, you've got to have depression to be in the cool gang um uh, like every comedian suddenly has, has suffered depression and, and whatever um so uh, and i'm writing about it a little bit a little bit more in in the new book but what that has done is i've seen the other side where nothing seems happy where there is no way out, where um, you can't see beauty or magnitude in anything. Now flip the side of the coin now, <clears throat> I sit here in my office, if I look beyond the screen, 
I, I get to see leaves and trees and they fill me with joy every day, like a leaf, you know, um, yep. and birds. And obviously we work on a farm and live on a farm and, and nature is, is so close to us now. Um, and one of the things when we do a garden tour at the farm, one of the things that um, I, I like to show people is a wild meadow that we've underplanted in, in, in the orchard. And there are, for more times than not in a year, a wild meadow looks pretty messy, right? When the flowers are all out, it looks stunning. But when those flowers kind of go over, it's just a load of scraggly grass. <laughs> um, and I always say to people, you know, what does it look like? You know, be honest. And if, if any, if they like wool trips or anything, school kids that come around, they say the same thing. Like, oh, it looks, looks a bit untidy. And so, okay, so now let's get really close. So hands and knees, like facing the grass. And suddenly you can count like nine different types of grass and then you can see the little flowers and the, um, the, the uh, like within the undergrowth and, uh, and then the insects. And suddenly from a distance, it didn't look all that impressive, but up close it does. So I think, you know, in, in danger of saying we've got to have a defining moment or in the danger of encouraging people to think that there has to be a day that stands out or that, you know, something is great. It is the tiny little things that just make me so so happy to be alive uh, and i find immense pleasure in um it's probably not the sort of thing that um somebody who has spent most of my life over half of my life studying human behavior and and influencing it should say but i actually without people it's normally pretty good <laughs> because Certainly for nature, if you think about everything bad with nature, human intervention has stuffed it up, right? Everything bad that's happened with nature is normally because of us. Um, and uh, to find the bits that are working all right without us is, is, okay. is quite nice. So, well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you talked about nature because um, it's a big part of my life. And as much as I've found it's the best way to anchor myself in the present moment. And the beauty of it, it's just outside the door or office. Mm -hmm. It costs nothing. You're not having to do some huge mm -hmm. uh, bucket list item to get the same level of joy. Yes. It could even yeah. last longer than a bungee jump, you know, as far as, and I use the word wonder, Jez. It's, you know, I was watching some swifts uh, just circling around in the summer sky. And, and I'm not afraid to say I was, I was actually crying. So I just thought it was beautiful and I actually felt delighted to be alive in that moment. And it's just being, and, and nature gives, gives me that. It could be, and we're going to talk about your delightful honeybee farming, but honeybees around um, a bush, all different types of bees that come. Some are solitary bees, some are part of a hive, you know, and it's always interesting. Oh, which one is this one? And where are they following? And, and what you're doing is you're not thinking about, gosh, what's my to-do list? And gosh, I'm... Sure concerned about the future or last week went hell was hell actually you're just enjoying the present which probably when you get close to your demise you'll actually appreciate those really perfect uh, moments and i try and join them up in the course of a day so that yeah. there's more days despite my hardship that i have those perfect moments and mm -hmm. that way each day feels like a bit of a celebration sure well, I think that's the tragedy is that most people do become more aware of it when it's too late. Too late. Um, yeah. Everything's easy now. Right. I mean, we have, I've spoken quite publicly and I write about it in quite, um, a, a quite length in the new book about, um, 
I'm predicting a sort of behaviour fallout, for want of a better description. So it's not our generation <clears throat> that it will affect too much, but certainly the generation under ours, um, because they're being encouraged to respond quicker than they've ever ever had to and actually quicker than we're designed to if you think even something very simple like facebook live yeah. so facebook gives you the option to record a live video even if no one's watching so you can uh, you can uh, broadcast your thoughts and your opinions about things you know nothing about um to to nobody uh, and then somebody can come pick it up later at the drop of a hat tinder relationships can be won or lost i mean that's canicular right that is like the swing of the thumb it's like no yes no um so those i, I wouldn't know on that one but i i i've been <laughs> I'm told. told i'm told um, uh, <laughs> someone gave me a demo um and uh those sorts of fast rapid decisions um that, that's getting quicker and quicker are making us lazier but the fallout of that is that we are creatures of habit and we ad adapt very quickly to habitual, new habitual behaviours, especially if they appeal to laziness, because we are all lazy. We are, uh, the human uh, beings are innately lazy. If we can have someone else do it for us, all the better. If we can do a shortcut way, absolutely brilliant. It's why when you walk through a park and they've got those beautifully manicured lawns and the paths, there's always the corners that are rounded off a bit because people have cut the corner because that's just that tiny bit quicker rather than taking the path. Um, um, and I think about, you know, Amazon, you know, or, or many other um, online retailers where you can save your details and pay with one click because we're lazy, because that would be just much easier. So the, the challenge is that I suspect what will happen is that we will have a generation um, who will struggle to think carefully through their decisions and their choices. They will not be living in a moment of considering consequence and they will be living more in a moment of, I can do this now, therefore I will. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know how that will affect crime. I haven't quite sort of <laughs> taken that route, but in terms of, um, you know, day to day, I think we're going to end up with stress levels that go through the roof. Unprecedented number of, of people suffering from uh, self-diagnosed depression, mental health issues and stress, secondary to the way that being, we're being encouraged to behave. Yes, and it's um, just from my own lens, I can see a lot of teenagers now with anxiety that may sure. not have been the case when we were growing up. Uh -huh. um, one thing I wanted to, was we're talking about nature, because it, it's such a part of a huge part of my the fabric of my life so you own you're a honeybee farmer you own a farm mm -hmm. just for for those uninitiated about um the honeybee um how did you get into it and what was the big draw for you and probably this ongoing fascination uh we when we bought this farm uh we it was just grass and concrete. There was there was nothing here. So we live on an acre, and this acre that we live on, um, grass and concrete, nothing really planted. Some trees, but but that's it. Very very bare. <clears throat> and we realised that we had a landscape, therefore a blank canvas to make it look a little more interesting and colourful. So we I decided that because we were choosing specifically what plants to put in, there was nothing here. Yeah. We should use those that were pollinator friendly and i read an article that the honeybee was in decline 
in this country and that we should all plant more seeds and flowers for it and and I remember I can still see myself doing it now I was reading the magazine I had a cup of tea in one hand and I remember thinking this is insane if if there is a declining species and the numbers are getting less and less yeah. so there were the beekeeper census in 1900 recorded 1 million beehives in the UK and in nine, in 2017 that number was 240,000 so there are less bees secondary partly to less people keeping bees mm. so it doesn't matter how many flowers you plant if there aren't the bees to pollinate the flowers to eat the flowers so it, you know we were all people were talking about buying bee friendly but not about reintroducing the population so and i was also aware that in this country we import 60,000 boxes of bumblebees every year to pollinate tomato crops because oh. we don't have sufficient native bumblebees to pollinate Play that figure tomato. again 60,000 boxes of bumblebees um, and bumblebees are the only pollinator of tomatoes are the only they're the only, only only pollinator that can pollinate a tomato plant and because of biosecurity risks we destroy those 60,000 boxes of bumblebees every single year and re-import another 60,000 the next year okay. so I was aware of these things and it was just mind-blowing right? so I went to school with a guy whose um, dad was a honeybee farmer um, and I've been to the house several times, grew up with, with his son. So, um, you know, kind of we were around bees and, you know, my grandfather, when he was at school, built in, in woodwork the beehive for school and kept bees at school. So there's always been that golden thread there. And so we decided to keep some honeybees. And then I realized that, uh, or as I say, care for honeybees because we're both ethical and sustainable beekeepers. So we we genuinely work symbiotically with them yeah. um technicalities on that for another podcast probably uh but uh that was our goal was to simply help reverse the decline of the honeybee i didn't want to i didn't want to farm honey um i've got really hairy arms so like honey is it's like anything sticky is not where you don't want to be putting your arms in a vat of anything sticky right <laughs> yeah. uh, and every year when we're harvesting honey i do think why didn't we pick chocolate <laughs> or, or water <laughs> or something <laughs> hell um so yeah well it, vicariously chickens lay eggs honey bees make honey so you get honey you have to do something with it <clears throat> but we committed to installing 250 honeybee hives over five years to help reverse the decline of the population and, and the honeybees that we keep are the native british honeybee so we're reintroducing a, or a rare bee that is um if we don't do something about it it will, it will end up um largely extinct um, well, you can't be largely extinct. It's either extinct or it's not. It's going to be extinct. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah, so so that, that's kind of how we got into it. Yeah. And is it involved certainly in the in the summer months? Work with the hives every day. Yeah. It's yeah. The the summer is is hard. The beekeeping season is March ish, depending on weather, to September ish, depending on weather. But that um, sort of six months ish um, window is is hard. Um, fortunately, it. It does somewhat coincide with um, the speaking and consultancy work is a little slower because that's right bang in the middle of summer holidays and mm. generally kind of slow down a little bit there. Okay. Um, it unfortunately is in the season where I do most of the telly, so there is there are implications for um, for that. Uh, but I've got a team of people and we're we're growing slowly, um, and so there are people that help me out, which is nice. My carers, as I. <laughs> well, I've never spoken to a honeybee farmer, 
Well, there you go. You can tick that off now. I'll tick that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done that you're doing this because um, it's a, a passion that you've made into a reality. Yeah, and it, and it is insanely expensive. Uh, <laughs> what you, we became the world's first carbon neutral honey farm this year. We've won various different awards for our environment. Uh, and just yesterday, actually, I wrote a, a little piece in our newsletter to our our followers about the fact that uh, w- when we moved into the place, we had to do an awful lot of renovation, an, an awful lot. Um, and we have water that we pull from a borehole, so we're entirely self-sufficient. That borehole goes through an insanely expensive filtration system that I had to install, so it's safe to people for people to drink when they come to a workshop or experience day. And... Um, that the environmental health office come and they they test that water once a year about 120 pounds something like that um which is still pretty insane because if you think about a swimming pool i think they test swimming pools three times a week or something like that so um to test it once a year whether you've got potable waters just seems a bit of a weird thing to do but but anyway they do and that central government have just told all of the local authorities that they need to now test for different types of samples to help regulate what is ultimately a commercial water supply and that cost is now going up to 700 pounds every year so um i made a point of emailing them to say look you know we're the first carbon neutral honey farm in the world yeah allegedly you support sustainability allegedly you support you know uh, small businesses and growing business diversity in british farming yeah Uh, and i calculated it was cheaper for us to buy plastic water bottles and give them to each of our guests and throw the plastic bottles away now obviously ethically we won't do that but that's the weird conundrum is that being good for the environment is just so so more more, much more expensive Uh, and that's partly us you know that's coming back to why we're talking today that's because the people that can make change and affect change aren't affecting change in a way that they are capable of doing. Uh, yeah. We can make changes tomorrow. Um, we, we've got the capacity to choose. And if we've got, therefore, the things that we've got the capacity to choose, we've got the ability to change, right? That's, um, but we're not choosing necessarily the right things. Now you said that you're um, an author. Um, one of your books, Flip the Switch, um it's very popular maybe just for listeners um how would you frame that book and how it could potentially be related to the gift certainly around uh, the power of the mind um so flip the switch was about collecting my thoughts on how uh, we can often get feel swamped or overwhelmed with what needs to change in our life if you don't feel happy it's very difficult to sit down and articulate ah I know why I'm not happy or I know why things aren't going to plan. I'll just tweak that. There we go. It's not like making a cup of tea where you take a sip and you think, oh, crikey, that needs a dash more milk or oh, honey, that'll fix that. Um, and I thought, well, but the strange thing is, you know, is that we do have the power to do that. So if uh, you were an actor being paid to play the part of a, um, a particularly happy, go lucky, um, fun person, and when you woke up in the morning, your wife left you, your cat had vomited in your shoe, your daughter's failed a grade seven clarinet exam, you go out to the car to drive to the theatre, someone's keyed all down the side of the car. It's a pretty ropey start day. You get to the theatre and as soon as those curtains open, 
you're being paid to be Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky and super fun. And we have the ability to literally flip the switch, to change, to, to, to put on a face, if you like, to act. Okay. Even if you're not an actor, we all do that. We all, you know, if, if you were going into a sales meeting that was particularly important and you weren't having a great day, you'd quote unquote, put on a brave face, right? Yeah. So that was the conundrum, I thought. Now that's really interesting because we can do it, but we choose not to do it. Ah. So flip this was about looking at the small things that we can, um, uh, there's the small changes we can make to the way that we think and the way that we behave that vicariously can create quite extraordinary results. Um, oh, so go for it. No, I was going to say it gets lumbered into the self-help book thing. I hate self-help books. I hate the I hate the fact that I'm an author of a self-help book because I think they just sound so cringeworthy and so pious. It's like uh, everybody come and worship at the altar of jazz. Come, come. I will tell you all of my. I hate that that idea, right? Um, uh, but ultimately, I suppose we're all seeking, aren't we, betterment of some way? And if we're not, I really think we should be. You know, to think that this is my lot and I'm happy today is is crazy. I think we can all. I agree. Yeah. Think what next, right? Well, this podcast, uh, the gift, was originally labelled as a health and self help podcast, but yeah. iTunes, in their infinite wisdom, to sent me a very polite message. We now are calling you health and well being. So actually, I've stepped away from, not, not willingly, <laughs> or knowingly, I've stepped away from the help. So if anyone listening, I am trying to help you. We're just, you know, maybe, and I'm trying to help myself. So, uh, I, I suspect firmly that self-help will be a dying phrase. I think it's all going to get lumbered under well-being because I've not read everything within the self-help sector, but there's some great stuff in there. Yeah. It doesn't have to be flouncy. I think too many people distance themselves from the idea and the, including myself and the category of self-help because it, it can attract people that um, write stuff that is um, not necessarily science-based and not necessarily evidenced or certainly not necessarily, uh, necessarily safe. Um, so there's a sort of slightly yucky area for me in, in the self-help area. But if ultimately it's about, I mean, look, we ran a research project here for two years about evidence in the impact of nature on health, well-being and behavior. And if ultimately it's all about health and, and well-being and our behavior, then suddenly for me, that seems a lot more of an interesting category and a topic for people to write and explore more, because I think we should all be encouraging other people to think about all three of those things. Agree. Um, you know, the book talks about um, successful people um, and what they, how they put into practice. What would be one of your favourite sort of stories or testimonies from somebody that the listeners may have heard of? From Flip the Switch. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> one minute. I'm just going to grab a copy um, because <laughs> the one you made I'm, earlier. Well, I'm seven minutes into a uh, seven minutes, seven months into the new book. So flip the switch is very much not fresh in my, <laughs> in my brain. Uh, I wrote this like quite a few years ago now. Well, um, just to make you feel better. And while you're hunting Dale Carnegie, it says, well, yeah. listen, I forget what I wrote in how to win friends and influence people because I'm doing how to not worry. So don't yes. you worry about, well, don't worry. Yes. Well, uh, you've read it, right? So why don't you tell me? Let's flip that switch. <laughs> I, I think there's a... Is there a little bit in here about Brené Brown or not? Or did I not do the Brené Brown one in here? Is this in the next book? Isn't that terrible? You're interviewing me. You've asked me about a book I've written. It's uh, sold 
loads of copies in the first sort of uh, year or so. Uh, slowed down a little bit now, but that's because I, I don't really um, uh, publish it as much. But um, isn't that amazing? Oh, I'll tell you what is good. Um, so this is somebody who worked as a really good friend of mine called Terry Gormley. He should come on this, by the way. You should, you should get in touch with him. Um, so uh, Terry, there's a bit on page 88 uh, in the Switch um, about uh, exploring whether we're all searching for happiness. Um, and I used to ask people that. I used to say, you know, um, do you think happiness is something you're seeking? And, and an awful lot of people would say, well, no, I, I, I don't, I am quite happy. I'm not actively seeking happiness. So Terry talks about a, and I, and I feature this in the book, this story, he told me it. He'll probably tell it much better than I will. Uh, he was coaching a, a rugby uh, team mm -hmm. uh, through mindset and growth and attitude for performance. And he asked them, uh, they were quite leery. And uh, he said, you know, why do you play rugby? And they're all a bit jeery and saying, for the money, mm. uh, for, for the girls, for the fame, yada, yada. And so Terry said, okay, no, no, you don't. And that, that put some of the backs up of the, of the rugby players who were a little bit defensive about what you're doing. And he said, no, why, do you, why do you play? Too many rugby players, do you really? No, not in one group anyway. <laughs> and get out <laughs> the said, door well, alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, why do you play rugby? And he singled out this one particular guy who was a little bit defensive. He said, I told you to, to earn money. And Terry said, okay, what do you do with the money? And uh, this chap said, I buy nice things for my girlfriend and for my, for my daughter. He said, okay, and um, why do you buy nice things for your girlfriend and your daughter? And he replied, he said, because uh, they like it, makes them happy. Yeah. Uh, and of course, ultimately, what you're driving to is why does it make them happy? How does it make you feel? And the, the crux of the matter is that the final answer he, you know, he, he gives is, um, so Terry says, you know, what, what do you want to make them happy? And of course, the answer is because it makes me happy. Yeah. Um, and so within the story, uh, I'm positioning the fact that perhaps we're doing many more things in life subconsciously to make us happy. And that happiness is something we're doing every day, not necessarily actively. And so is that a problem? Should we be absolutely wholly embracing something to say, do you know what, I need, I need a happy place. Yeah. I need to go yeah. do something I know is going to make me happier. Uh, and I started being very good at that. I, I was especially bad at being very giving and giving a lot of my time away and not necessarily taking time for myself. And I'm much better at saying, I'm going to do that now. I feel very selfish about it. Say, no, 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 just for 10 minutes, you're, you're not going to get hold of me. Mm. I'm not going to answer an email. I'm going to read that bit of that book because that's what's going to make me feel great right now. Yeah. Um, and there are, there are a number of other stories like that in flip the switch where i asked lots of different people what it was that they did and why and what they felt about um the contribution they had for very simple things that are almost insignificant things but that actually if we think about them or we apply them can suddenly fundamentally change our life you know if you all just take that one example if you were to suddenly start living your life very consciously and saying okay i'm going to seek happiness because i know that fundamentally if i keep asking why uh, I'm going to make a, coffee, a cup of coffee. Why? Because I'm thirsty. Why? You just keep asking why. Ultimately, almost everything comes back to because it's going to make me happy. Mm. Um, and yeah. I think that's a very powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm trying to help um, people with is 
on the medical front getting better habit forming with um, taking their meds. I mean, mm-hmm. I take 40 tablets a day throughout the day, have my physiotherapy, nebulizer, inhalers, injections. It's a long day of it. And so for each of those, I have formed a habit that I then sustain. What, what from your sort of research and your insights, would you say why people do struggle with creating new behaviors or, or making sure that it's sustainable rather than just maybe taking their meds in one day and then going back to ignoring them or forgetting them for the next few weeks? So uh, that, that's an easy and a slightly more complicated thing to answer. <laughs> Sorry um, to put you on the spot, but it's, I'm, no, I want to tap fine. into what you, because you can help me as well. So habit loops are formed very, very easily and very, very simply uh, for humans and by humans. We get into a loop. Um, the challenge is that the, there are two key components of a habit loop, and one of them is understanding what it is that's reinforcing the habit, and the second one uh, in terms of environmental space. And I'll, I'll explain these in, in a second. Um, and the second thing that's quite important in order for, for a habit loop to be formed is that it is reinforcing in some way. So if you repeated this sequence, remove box of cigarettes, swing hinge lid open, separate foil, remove cigarette, close lid, put back in pocket, remove lighter, light cigarette, puff on cigarette, wonderful chemical um, uh, imbalance that happens inside our body when we smoke cigarette. Um, But vicariously, the effects are... Um, hypnotic or or, um, I was gonna say illicit they're not illicit but they're you know they're they're positive for us Uh, and we're doing something with our hands uh, stub out cigarette all fine until your body needs a little kick of that nicotine again but it's not just about the nicotine that's why often nicotine patches don't necessarily work for people or giving up smoking is so bad because number one you're doing something with your hands so that's a part of the habit loop, right? But that if you just stick a nicotine patch on, suddenly your hands haven't got anything to do. And that's part of the thing that's reinforcing the habit loop, right? Secondly, is that the smoking something and handling something, putting something in your mouth is part of that habit loop. So one of the best ways, I think, to, to quit smoking is to take a mint and wrap it up in a little bit of foil and put the mint in a box. It could be a cigarette box if you okay. want a mint. So, so replicating the actions. Exactly that. So you take out the box, you open up the box, you take out the foil, you unwrap the foil, you take out the mint, you put the mint in your mouth. So you're doing something with your hands. You're also doing something with your mouth. By eating the mint, you're releasing sugars and or other um, uh, ingredients of that mint that is going to give you a simulated kick in terms of changing your alpha brain waves and the uh, hydrocortisone, uh, your cortisol levels and your um, serotonin levels. So your, your brain's going to be different. And the nice thing is you can rinse and repeat that as often as you like. So uh, th- there's also a triad that's very important with habits and addictions as well. In the environment plays a key part, as does the time and place, as does the thing. Like, uh, for example, if you smoke and you drink beer, you go to the pub, that's the environment, you have a pint of beer, well, there's two of those three components of the triangle are there, right? So it's, yeah. it's a slippery slope now to then reach for a cigarette. Well, let's say, well, I'm going to try and give up drinking. Okay. So I'm going to go to the pub and then I have a cigarette and we're back in the same position. Two of those key parts of the triad are there. You're going to end up having a bit. Um, so it's, it's very difficult unless you understand why that works to replicate yeah. it. 
Okay. Now, here's why it's a bit more difficult for you um, with medicines, because to think about the thing that is positively reinforcing about that is very difficult, mm. particularly with your condition, right? Because that's A, it takes a long time. B, it means that your days are extended and therefore there is, of course, an associated tiredness with that as well. Um, there is, a, I guess, for somebody that is particularly productive and or wanting to get more out of their life, there's a, a feeling that this two hours is dragging. I could be doing something else, but, but I can't. And that there are potential side effects of those medicines as well. So how on earth do you begin to, to create a positive habit loop like that? Um, and here's the thing. You need to create or find something that you find genuinely reinforcing. And let's talk about something really easy and benign that won't necessarily hit home for you, but hopefully it's easy for people to understand and then you go off and explore yourself. It might be that your one vice, Mr. One, is cabbage cream eggs, right? And I'm not going to ask you, because how you eat yours is entirely up to you, right? But it might be... Oh. That with a spoon, with a spoon. <laughs> it's like an egg yeah. it's like yeah, a hard-boiled egg you've got the when it's okay. the soft bit in the middle i'm suddenly feeling very normal so <laughs> um that might be your one vice now you have to promise yourself that that vice is now or that that particular thing that you love doing could be uh, poetry it could be anything it could be walking the dog is going to be reserved for immediately after the thing that you're trying to create a habit for um, so you have to think about environment, you have to think about the action, and you have to think about the reinforcer. And if all three of those things you can get working together, suddenly that habit loop will kick in extremely quickly. And if yeah. it doesn't, don't blame the thing, blame you. Because you've got to try and work out, maybe there's a better environment or a different environment. And it might be that for physio, for example, it's not in the room you're currently having the physio. It might be that it's a different place or you turn the the bed or, or, or the, the table or whatever, so you're facing a different way or I don't know. There's, and it could be that, here's another thing, right? That um, I did this with some kids years ago. Uh, and, and this was, so there's a particular series of books that came out about a um, wizard uh, that were <laughs> relatively popular. Um, I couldn't get bit. past the first one, unfortunately. Yeah, oh really? Okay, well. People said to me, you weren't ready to put the book, book down. I said, I found it very easy to put it down, thank you. Really I, am, I seem to be an anomaly with Harry P. Never mind. Well, uh, let's assume that it's not that. So uh, a book or piece of poetry or an audio book that you're listening to, the audio book is only reserved for that time when you're having your physio in the morning or in the evenings. Um, so that you are applying as many positive elements to that, that feedback loop as, as, as uh, that habit loop as, as possible. So very broadly and very quickly, that's, that's an overview of why people find that they can form habits very quickly, like suddenly they can down a bottle of wine every night and that gets gradually worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then it's two bottles of wine and et cetera, et cetera. Or that you suddenly you have a, a cigarette when you're out with friends and a week later you find out, hang on a minute, I'm smoking now three times a day. Uh, so we can form habits very quickly like that and why other habits that we need to form, like mm -hmm. taking tablets at a certain time of day, are, are less uh, easy to, to form. Because you don't, we don't understand, do we? This is the tragedy, is that most of all of the books right, you can't see from there, no, you can't, but I have bookshelves all on this side of my office, bookshelves on sort of this side of my office, and all of the hundreds of books on psychology and human behavior that are there, of all of the research that's ever been done, it's largely been kept themselves. 
as human beings, we weren't ever given the manual, were we? <laughs> to, to, to explain to us why our brain works and how it does. Exactly. And so I always try to include in everything I write a little insight into those things that I've discovered from reading the pretty dry and boring uh, research and, and uh, historical insight into humans um, that is hopefully practical for, for us living modern day. So set your alarm, <clears throat> find the time that you're, you're best at doing something. A little bit difficult with meds because sometimes it dictates it's half an hour before food or has to be in the morning when you first wake up. Or, yeah. um, but set your alarm so that you've got a reminder because we're really easily distracted now. So alarm is essential. Even if you don't think it is, it is. Uh, choose an alarm sound that you like um, because then it's not unnerving. Don't just on your phone reach for the first alarm sound that's there. Scroll through them. So it sounds, you know, almost benign, but but you've got to have that alarm. So so choose an alarm that you know a sound that you like. It might be a favourite tune or favourite song or something, rather than just any old alarm in your phone book. Because um, you, you go through your phone, it's got all the sort of standard alarm noises. You want a really good alarm, something that when it sounds, it has a positive impact rather okay. than one to grate and annoy you. And it sounds really benign. I, I, I get it, right? You're going to say, oh, it sounds so pathetic having to set an alarm. But if you don't do it, we'll get really distracted. We're really good at being distracted and, and we will get pulled away from things. So set the alarm so that you've got that regularity. But here's the other thing is you've got to find something that's going to be especially rewarding, right? You've got, a, you've got a, something, you know, your vice, your Cadbury's cream egg, uh, your um, <laughs> a, a particular book that you, an audio book, so that, when that alarm sounds, that triggers the doing something, which yep. is meds or, or whatever it may be, that is then instantly followed up by something else that you enjoy doing, but that has to be sacred. You can't just gorge yourselves on cream eggs on a Sunday or something <laughs> or get carried away and then you've got a long car journey and you listen to all of the audio book or whatever. Um, so the, it's a very simplistic way of looking at it. And of course, each individual person is going to have to tweak that plan. But once you understand why we form habits so easily to the things that are especially enjoyable for us and why it's difficult to form habits to things that aren't enjoyable. You can sort of cheat that system a little bit. Does that make sense? It does. And uh, for any diabetics listening, um, we're not advocating <laughs> that after you've done a successful blood test, you then have a cream egg. Uh, just to be clear. Um, but, um, whenever I do my physiotherapy, so that's percussion on my chest, Trust me, Jez, it is the dullest thing yeah. in the world. I've done it uh, to the power of N times. I have to do it twice a day, sometimes more if I'm really poorly. I don't do it in silence because it just drives me mad. Yeah. I'll always listen to one of my favorite songs. Uh, yeah. That's 80s music because there was only one decade. Sorry. Um, that will make my twin brother, Jez, cringe. Great, <laughs> great name, by the way. And, um, you know, I make sure I do something or listen to the radio. I love Five Live sport you know it's just something that stimulates me and makes it feel less of a chore the other thing you could do of course is just uh, is use the so if i had to have uh thorax or percussion i think i would make ridiculous i mean i make ridiculous noises anyway uh, <laughs> i've always wanted to know what a puppy would sound like in a shower right so so i've taken to making noises while i'm in the shower like dogs barking or cats meowing or because it sounds different in the shower right so um that would be me making like weird 
like noises to see how loud and unusual I could get. Them. Um, and that's the point is it doesn't have to, it can just be something that you only do at that point you enjoy doing it. And it might be that, you know, you're not allowed to whistle around the house or something, or, you know, you're not allowed to hum or sing to yourself because it annoys somebody. But that one time is when you can absolutely let rip. So, oh, I see. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's your reward. It doesn't have to be cream eggs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Changing gears. Um, what yeah. have you personally learnt about the power of the mind that you would normally go to as a sort of quite salient uh, comment or learning? Um, <clears throat> for myself? Yeah. I think its capacity to define who we are is pretty important. You know, the, the very, the, if you allow the mind it defines who we are as human beings right and i don't think we put enough um uh, enough weight on the fact that we are shaping our lives we're shaping ourselves uh, and that process doesn't ever end you know the, the whole of our lives we're doing that so we have to take responsibility for who we are um and who we can become as well so i think my my go to is always a reminder that we our innate ability to adapt and evolve is huge and is one of the defining sort of characteristics, if you like, of, um, of us as, as humans. Um, does that make sense? It, it does. And um, let's say listeners um, have... Oh, are just you be- there, Tim? No, I'm here. I can hear you. I, I can just say that if people have been struck down by a, a difficult diagnosis or life event, the, the key thing before, I suppose, the adapt and evolve is accept. I want to uh, thank Jez for being a guest on my show. Thank you for his insights. If you'd like to contact him and find out more, he can be contacted on Twitter at, at that Jez Rose. Um, and I just want to say thank you for listening. If you want to hear more about the gift, please feel free to contact me, Tim Watton, at that name on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or my website, www.timwatton.com. Thanks again for listening. And as always, I leave you yours cup half full. Thank you. <laughs>